0: This is Eitan Weinstein, and I'm Naor Menninger, and you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys.
1: In 1997, something happened that would change the relationship between humans and computers forever. A game of chess was played, but it wasn't just a regular game. On one side was Gary Kasparov, the undeniable chess master of the world. On the other side, a bunch of ones and zeros, a.k.a. Deep Blue, IBM's computer that was developed with one purpose and one purpose only, to beat Kasparov in chess. And it happened. Deep Blue won 3-2 after a match of six games, and the history of computers changed forever. Cut to almost two decades later, after a computer did the unthinkable, there was even a bigger challenge at hand, beating the Go world champion. Go is a Chinese game which is considered to be much more complex than chess, with endless possibilities. However... Eventually, the computer did it again and defeated the world champion. Cut to Jaffa, Israel, early 2000s. Ali is sitting at home watching his favorite anime show, Hakiro Nogo. He's inspired by the fascinating game the characters in the show are playing, and he decides to try for himself. He goes online and starts playing. And by 2009, he will be Europe's youth champion at Go. By 2015, he'll be the second best Go player in Europe. Today, we're honored to be joined by Ali Jabarin and hear his incredible, incredible story. Thank you so much Hello. for joining us. How are you?
2: Hey guys, what's up?
0: Any, anything we missed on the intro or is it accurate?
2: No, it's pretty good. Um, I'm actually pleasantly surprised. You guys done your research. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, pretty accurate there. So can you tell us a bit about the first time you stumbled upon the game of Go? Um, yeah, so it was like a phase when we were kids around those years. Uh, there was a big anime trend here. And a friend of mine and me, we watched this uh, anime Hikaru no Go. And he just said that time, you know, back on ICQ or MSN messenger, relics of a very old, (laughs) prehistoric time. He said, uh, let's try this game. And honestly, the rest is history. Just I started playing. um, At some point I saw someone post online about a year after I started playing about how there is a European youth championship. That time I was about 12 13 and I offhandedly mentioned it to my dad that this thing exists, and he, which was a very surprise to me, he just said, uh, "Why don't you go? Well, why not go to it?" I was like, "What? We can do that. We can just go to Europe." I was like, yeah.
0: But what enchanted you about the game? Get the mic closer to our guest.
2: Um I don't know, it was everything about it honestly, but mostly the competitive aspect. Mm-hmm. So when the when that friend of mine and me when we started playing, we would stay very close in rank for the first about a year or so. And just the the fact that you had this rank which you can level up. It's it's almost it's it's still a game, right? It's like a computer game but in it feels like real life, and the game itself is really fascinating. It's very abstract, but still super complex. Um, it's both tactical and super strategical. and honestly, the thing that's kept me in the most is the community. So once I went to tournaments, met the people, those people became my friends um, everywhere in the world mostly Europe and Asia, but people that I talk to sometimes daily, uh, people I've went to i have stayed at their homes, they, they stayed with me. Mm-hmm. So that community, I think, is very magical. It's, it's one of the pros, I would say, of having a kind of niche game, or at least in Europe it's more niche, uh, that the community can be so tight-knit.
1: When I uh, when I was I grew up playing chess, and my dad is a professor, and he went on some trip to China, and he came back with a Go board. And I remember he he gave it to me, and he and he wanted to teach me how to play it, but he couldn't remember how the how they told him to play it. <laughs> it's like I don't remember the rules, and so that's then it sat on our shelf, and we never
0: really played. And it made you th- think
1: about M and M's, so you went to yeah, just ate M and M's. And then went back to playing chess.
2: And so how do you how do you play Go? Uh, Go is very simple to to start. Actually, the the goal of the game is to surround the territory, which is the empty intersections on the board. So unlike chess, which is played on the on the squares, Go is the stones are placed on the intersections, and your goal is to surround more territory than your opponent. Um, you can also kill stones. But that's not the primary goal, like in chess, you can kill stones. Um, but that's basically how you, how do you know something is your territory? When your opponent can't place any stone that won't die inside. That's, that's what makes it your territory. And it can become very complex when, when a situation is on the edge of that. You know, if your opponent places a stone and both of you are not sure can can that stone or that group survive or not so then you get Mm -hmm. invasions and you get trades since the board is very large which you've touched on before with your comparison to chess, it's eight by eight grid go is a 19 by 19 grid so you have several battles going on at the same time and then in the middle game they start to connect together um and how do you kill a stone is there one way or is there several are there several ways um, the rule is that each stone and group has liberties, which are the intersections directly connected to a stone. And once a stone or a group has zero liberties, it's taken off the board. But if if a group is in a position where it 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 can be killed and there is no way for it to escape, then you don't actually have to spend the time to... To fill those liberties and take it off the board. The, the stones are just... Both players know it's that. Something that but, comes a bit more with experience.
1: But at the end you count up... At the end of the game I guess is when the whole board is full. And you count up all the stones and whoever has more stones.
2: Yeah, so there is several counting methods which all mathematically lead up to the same result. You can count the stones or you can count The the surrounded intersections... Hmm. Um, and uh, your opponent's dead stones are basically, like, minus points for him. So uh, Ah, if if your opponent dies with stones, he also loses points that way.
1: I see.
0: And how long is the game?
1: Yeah.
2: So it it ranges very widely. Blitz games can be 10 or 20 minutes, and long tournament games. uh, The longest I've had is a 7-hour game.
0: Oh, wow with break with a break are you allowed to go or a, a break? catheter or a catheter <laughs>
2: yeah well you're rarely sitting at the board for the whole duration of the game you usually walk up and go check out the other games get a tea get a coffee go to the bathroom you're not attached to the desk or the table when you're playing the game
1: mm-hmm. and uh you play it with a clock is that how you have a blitz game
2: yeah so you have like a chess clock yeah, it's a digital clock. A certain it, amount of time allotted to each player and you click yeah, it Yeah, with different uh, time settings and time systems like uh, Buyomi, Canadian counting time, Fisher time. Ah, uh, okay. Both. Which is like you have like 30 seconds for a move or something like you have different setups, Yeah, that's right? the Japanese Buyomi when you have 20 seconds to make a move.
1: Buyomi, know or I'm not sure exactly how it's pronounced, you have a certain amount of time for each move and if you... If you go past that time, that's it. You're done.
2: Yeah, basically. Okay. Usually you start out with some main time, for example, one hour per player, which you can use as you wish. You can use it all on one move or you can use it for the whole game. And then you have the, in the case of BIOMI, you get 20 seconds or 30 seconds, which refresh each time. Mm. Um, other settings can be like you get 10 minutes and then you have to play 20 stones in those 10 minutes. Mm. And then you get a new 10 minutes or Fisher time, which is just an increment. Every time you play, it's plus 10 seconds. So what's the point you became like from an amateur to a pro as a young Okay, Go so player? In, in Go Pro is uh, the distinction between amateur and pro is actually very, very crucial. I would say um, it's like that in the Asian systems where the, where the game is much larger and pro systems exist in China, Japan, Korea and it's just a recent uh, development in the West, so to say, in uh, in Europe and in North America. The system started, I think, 10 years ago, around that, the pro system. And, um, well, the def- the definition is, varies of what, what exactly uh, a pro is supposed to mean, so, you can say it's someone who's pretty decent at the game. You can say it's someone who makes a living from the game, uh, someone who's challenging for the largest titles or tries to win international tournaments. Uh, some pros just teach, some pros are only top players. Uh, in Europe, we don't have that many pros. Right now we have eight. And in, in all systems, the professional player to become a professional player you have to first be a very good amateur and then usually you need to to win some pro qualification tournament or league and for a lot of players in asia uh, who spend a lot of time on the game it can be like the validation to all their effort because Mm -hmm. once they become pro they start to get invited to tournaments they get a chance to prove themselves they get some chances to earn money from the game. Um, it's, it's a big payoff, like in, in China, for example, um, each year they get around 20, 30 new pros. And the, the atmosphere at the pro qualification tournament there, it's, it's more intense than even at World Championship Finals, which can carry hundreds of thousands in prize money. In the pro qualification, there is no money on the line, but the title is very important to to every Go player.
1: Have wow. you been to China? Have you been to any of the like? Have you have you played Go in China? Because I feel like that's probably every Go player's
2: dream. No. Um, you could say that. Uh, I think every Go player, uh, every serious Go player, eventually finds themselves in China because that's where the largest tournaments are so if you become good um, chances are you'll get invited to to participate in something there and I actually I've been to all all three China Japan Korea Uh, to Japan I was just on short trips for a couple weeks for example at a time to play a tournament and go back Uh, then when I finished high school, I lived in Korea for 6 months and I've lived with uh, the Korean nine dan professional. Nine dan is the highest level of professional. So even professionals we have a one dan to it goes up to nine dan. Mhm. You are two dan, right? I'm two dan right now, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty close to 3. Mhm. Um, but yes, just two dan right now. And yeah, so I I was living with uh, Kim Sung Jun Nine Dan, who used to be. Uh, he never he was never the best player in Korea, but he was up there um, around the two thousands. And he had an academy for foreign students who wanted to study the game in Korea. We got some scholarship from the EGF, which is the European Go Federation, plus the the Korean. Uh, go association to go and study there and what yeah do you mean we by living we we were living with him and you know waking up in the morning like uh, wow master <laughs> and then we, we, we would go to the school take off our shoes and start solving problems um you lived in an anima
1: serious basically is there a culture around go is there is that something in the east where there's like a whole culture and uh and ritual around it
2: definitely it's i would say it's the it's the equivalent of chess in the west so in if i'm not mistaken in korea and also in china it's considered their nation, one of their national games in china there is a very famous uh like the traditional four arts, which are calligraphy, uh, tea, tea making, tea pouring, and uh, I can't remember the third one, but go is the fourth one.
1: But is there something religious about it? Probably,
2: okay. I had a racist joke, but I'm not going to say it. (laughs) Is there
1: Uh, there something religious about it? It, You know, because in the West, chess isn't, there's not
2: so much ritual or, you know that I can think of? Is there something that's tied to... I wouldn't say there is anything religious about it. Those countries are not very religious anyway. Like In China, it's, it's even hard to find any traces of religion at all. Um, similarly in Japan, it's a very atheist country. Korea has a little bit of Christianity, but I think it's just a recent trend. So 30 years ago, Japan was dominating the game. They would uh, have all the international tournaments, they won everything. And then slowly Korea started rising and overtook them. And nowadays China also caught up after making massive investment into the game. They have so many schools there. Which I've also been to to one of them. I can go back to that later. Um, but after a massive investment from China into the game... Now, uh, China and Korea are both at the top and in Japan, the game is actually declining. Um, So there is nothing religious about it, but those countries can get quite nationalistic Mm. about the results of the game. But
0: is there a historiographical battle between the countries to the question of where did this game originate? Is there a battle of narrative or is it the consensus that it's a Chinese game? Um
2: I think there is some claim that it's like uh, a, the story I know is that it's a Chinese monk who went to Japan and then spread the game there but it's 5000 years ago so I mean at, at this point it's just like a legend I think it doesn't matter probably if you'd ask a Japanese person he'd say it's a Japanese game and if you'd ask a Chinese person he'd say it's a Chinese game uh huh Wow, so So, fascinating! Wait,
0: I want to hear more about the the temple with the master. So you woke up every morning. You said uh, it was not a temple. It was more like
2: it was an actual academy. You know, in uh, how many in an apartment building? It would vary, but I would say around twenty students, including the the Korean kids who were there with us. Did you
0: have to get tested to go in by the master?
2: Um, We didn't get tested specifically for that. But we were at the time we went the three of us, me, one Swedish and one Serbian player, and we were uh like youngish players with a very high level in europe, so that's how we and who also wanted to, to go to korea and um so that's that's how we ended up going there it's the so, coffee machine
1: so Okay, so tell us about, like, it, the most intense moment you had playing Go. Was there a moment where, I don't know, you just thought you weren't going to make it through? <laughs> now, is there, like, an intense story where it was a long game or, I don't know, it was an intense moment. It was the end of a tournament. Very charl-
0: challenging foe. Yeah. Mm.
2: Um, I can think of a couple. So, the first one is, as I mentioned, the when I won the, the pro qualification in Europe. Um that time it was two thousand and fourteen, I think. I wasn't the highest rated player at the tournament. I was just rated number six or five. And there were two spots. And the first spot was already taken by by Pavolisi, who is the first European pro. And the tournament was played in three stages. So first we had to go to um, Strasbourg in France. We played two games there, and a couple of weeks after that, we had to play two games in Amsterdam, and then finally we had two rounds in in Vienna. And I remember staying in Vienna, and after I won the the semifinal game, like I realized, in the I'm in the final, and I'm one game away from, like validation that all this playing, all these billion hours playing this game um like get acknowledged and when we were counting the game so actually it was a very tight game and i ended up winning by one and a half points which is the closest margin you can win by and i had i was behind like going into the end game but i was squeezing out little by little and that time i was very confident in my end game it's what i would say my style is more known for and i remember when we were counting the game and when we when the points were clear on the board that i almost like started crying and i had to hide my face from the referee and and my opponent who was obviously also devastated and didn't sleep very easily that night
0: from the adrenaline
2: yeah yeah but when you say you
0: you are known for in strong end game, it means what that in the beginning you let your foe like have his moment and then as the game c- comes closer to an end you start become more, more aggressive or
2: um, at the time I think yes you know my I think also my style now has shifted a bit but at the time I would sometimes play slack because I would be very stubborn in the end game and like playing slack in the beginning, you could be behind by two three, four five points, and in the end game, if you're eking out the point here and there, then you can still win games so i I had a risk averse style i'd rather not go into all in fights early and sometimes I'd accept a bit of a worse result and say like it's fine i 'll catch it up later um Today I actually kind of regret that and I I try to have a much more severe style and always go for the best result because Mm -hmm. um, the advent of AI basically, before I could say, ah, it's just a stylistic matter to play defensively or to play. But with the advent of AI now we have like a, a source of truth on the game. So I can directly see this is bad or playing like this is just slack. And you'd also be putting yourself in at your opponent's mercy, because I mean, when you put yourself behind, you're hoping they make mistakes Mm -hmm. and the level in Europe also uh, improved to where you can't afford to do that.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. So
2: it sounds like you
0: divide the the history of Go before AI and after AI absolutely explain can you explain were you following the efforts in real time when when
2: yeah yeah, of course i was in china at the time and well let me think of a good like metaphor or analogy for the big like bang when, when the when the news <laughs> broke it was like uh, those moments in movies of natural disaster movies where the <laughs> all favorite. the characters are, are realizing like wait the the world is ending everything we've known is is a lie um before ai the strongest computer was taking three stones handicap from me what does it mean mm, it means it was much weaker than me.
1: Okay, it had to start at a disadvantage in order to be in order to compete with you.
2: Yeah, so it starts with already three stones placed on the board, mm-hmm. and three stones in the beginning of the game is is a big advantage. So the difference between me and the world champion is three stones, and the difference between me and the best computer at the time is three stones in my favor. So. Um, that was the old AI based on brute force, which is the methodology that was used to beat chess, what you mentioned with Deep Blue in your intro. Um, but then once once it stopped being a computer and started being AI, and it was capable of basically learning, first by watching human games, and after that, even learning on its own. Uh, it improved so fast and instead of having to, to brute force a billion possibilities, an endless, uh, amount of possibilities because the board is so large, it became human-like. It just looks at a shape and chooses four candidates, A, B, C, D. Those are the moves which look like they make sense, mm-hmm. pattern recognition, and then it just needs to brute force these moves so it doesn't calculate it, out- it does but it calculates smartly mm-hmm. so it does the same thing i do when i need to choose a move i look at the board i'm like yeah this one looks good well defending here also makes sense or i can counter attack there and then i'll try to read ahead what happens if i choose a b c mm-hmm. but of course the computer can read ahead much further than me and before, the problem with the computer was that it doesn't know what is A, B, and C. It has to check for every for every move. And then for every move, it has to check every move. Mm-hmm. And for every one of those, it has to check again. So it's a tree with endless branches, basically. Yeah, it's you can find the calculation about how the number of possible Go games is larger than the number of atoms in the universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... I mean, that's math. You can... Yeah, It sounds ridiculous, but it's actually uh what 19 to the power of 19 means it's such a large number so even in chess which is much smaller the computer hasn't solved the game yet so it cannot read all the possibilities until the end
0: even today even today it's fascinating wow but can you remember what's the name of the like there's deep root is there a cool name for the go one I think AlphaGo is pretty cool. AlphaGo. Uh,
2: so, do you remember... Did you get to play against it? Um, not AlphaGo specifically, but... Variation. Since it's been released, DeepMind has also made the the methodology public in a couple of nature articles, and it's been recreated many times. So can you remember, like, the
0: first time since this revolution where you lost to the computer?
2: Yeah. Well, I didn't even need to to lose to the computer myself i've watched my my heroes or the best human players mm-hmm. get smacked around by the computer <laughs> so I, I didn't even need to try in fact the the movie you mentioned AlphaGo, yes the star of that movie is the the french professional player fan hui mm-hmm. and he he got to play AlphaGo because he was european champion
1: mm-hmm. he's the star but the movie is not named after him
2: I guess that's a... Uh, He's the human telling star. Telling detail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but in fact, he was the, the European champion at the time. I was the... I lost to him in the final. So
0: uh, You lost to him in the second place. Yeah, I was,
2: I was vice champion. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I often think back to that final. Hui was much stronger than me at the time, so I can't say I really have regrets about the way I played it, but I often think about how if I won that one, Maybe I it would be me in that movie, um, Yeah, but you did play Alpha Go, Alpha Go at some point. No, I, I've only played uh,
1: you've played some
2: like uh, recreations, which yeah. are because it's also been a few years already the the open source recreations of AlphaGo are not weaker, maybe even stronger then what op- because there was there's been many optimizations since then and how badly did you lose like
1: what's the normal uh, range of winning margin. and losing margin of winning and losing and what what
2: what is it with alpha go or with uh, it's i'd say it's 50-50 for me with four stones right now so i need i need f- to place four stones at the beginning of the game four stones handicap for me and i would say the game is 50-50 oh wow
1: But what is the range of winning and losing? It's four or five stones. Like that's the difference when you count four or five is the point system.
2: Oh, um, that's not really a meaningful metric in Go because a win it's, it's binary, like winning by, by 70 points or by three points is the same. Winning or winning by your opponent resigning.
0: But to win, you need an advantage. Like the computer needed an advantage before AlphaGo. It needed three advantage to win before AlphaGo the computer. Now you need four.
2: Um, I need right? four to have a chance. To have a yes. chance <laughs> of
0: 50 wow. yeah.
1: fifty-fifty, the best player in the world. How many? What the ha- What's the handicap? And in...
2: the best players. The best. The best players have, I would say, favorable odds with three stones, mm-hmm. but very, very slim chance with two. Wow. And
0: why is that? You think. Why is that that the best humans cannot beat? the? I mean, isn't, isn't there value for the,
2: our creativity, for our...
1: Feeble minds. Feeble
2: <laughs> minds? It turns out your creativity can be quantified into a bunch of ones and zeros as well. <laughs> um, in fact, so the first iteration of AlphaGo the, the developers, DeepMind, uh, fed it hundreds of thousands of human games. Mm-hmm. And that's how it learned to play. So th- it just knows the rules. It knows this is a legal move. This is a captured stone. Six basic rules of the game. And then it watches 100,000 games and it sees the result. So it, it fine-tunes. And that's how it gets that pattern re- recognition based on human games.
0: He knows all our weaknesses, too. It knows
2: it doesn't It doesn't know what's a weakness and what's not, it only knows this move leads to a higher probability of winning the second iteration of AlphaGo cut out the human factor, it didn't even it didn't look at any human games, they just made it play itself, so one AlphaGo against the other they start from 0, it's like a toddler playing it's placing random stones on the board, that's game 1 and then they play out the game but it's not a human game you know it yeah th- it's played out x 1 million per second and each game is another statistical point which it uses to refine itself and what you could see is that after i don't know how many millions of games it learned in exactly the same manner which humans learned so variations which were meta a hundred years ago you saw it dis- discover those variations by itself with no human input (laughs) and then you saw it discard those variations in the same manner humans did so we used to play those variations we discovered something better we stopped it did the exact same thing and then you add to that the fact that it can play i don't know billions of games a day and that it can read much more than you it will never misread you know you sometimes look at the position and you blunder it doesn't blunder it doesn't have emotions it doesn't get scared it doesn't get excited it doesn't think oh my god this game is the biggest money i've played forever it doesn't know any of that it
0: doesn't tear the counting of the points
2: nothing
1: <laughs> so after wow. after seeing this and you also have a technical background right you're an automation uh you told us an automation developer yes. so you you have a technical background you understand a little bit about or a lot about how it was created and developed Are you, do you lean more towards that we need to unplug Genesis before it becomes Skynet? Or do you lean more towards like, you know, we don't need to worry. Humans create computers and we control
2: them. Mm, That's a tough question. I want to say we're still far from that. So hopefully I'm not worried about that during my lifetime. Um, but we, that's what we thought about computers beating Go. We were always saying, ah, it's probably between 50 and 100 years away. And then we woke up one day in 2016. Singularity. It's happened. It's just there. Um, I'm not really qualified to give any deep insight into that, but I'm hoping the, the people who work on such systems know what they're doing. I just wonder like if, if we bred, like, if we took a Korean
0: kid <laughs> and bred him to become, like, genetically engineered him to become the best Go player in the history of mankind.
1: No, but you couldn't because time is of the essence, right? Because that's the whole thing is that he pl- it, it plays a game against itself in a second.
2: Yeah, and that uh, AlphaGo so Zero So we make a lineage. Model. <laughs> that model, which is called AlphaGo Zero, which which started from from only the knowledge of the rules. Uh, It took it three days, I think, to overcome the previous AlphaGo. So actually the AlphaGo which learned from human games was worse because it picked up on our bad habits and a few of our Mm -hmm. weaknesses. AlphaGo Zero in three days of the model training against itself overcame that and the graph just goes exponential there.
1: It seems to me that the main difference, and then maybe we'll get off the Terminator subject, but <laughs> the main difference is that, like, Go is a very, uh, it's very domain-specific, right? I mean, the rules are very clear. Even though the possibilities are endless, it's 19 by 19. It's not such a There's multi... There's no dice, It's also. not such a multivariant system like the universe or the world, right, where you have just endless variables and endless data points and endless possibilities on each like it's like each intersection on the go board you could do a billion different things with but on go you can do two things you can either put a stone or not put a stone
2: yeah that's that's true but at the same time it's the perfect uh, training ground for an ai because what you need to train ai models is you need A very clear defined environment. So in Go the universe is. Very easy to quantify. Even though it's very large. The number of possibilities is endless. But it's like you said. I right now have 361. Intersections which I can place a stone on. And there is only 5 or 6 different things that can happen once I've placed that stone. So if you try to translate that into the real world for example a self-driving car it's going on the street which is a line and then it has uh, input like okay if uh, an object comes from the left I do this and uh, if I see a hazard in the street I do that um, a lot of the task of um, developing these kind of systems is actually quantifying the environment. The learning process can be very straightforward. It's just about how do I mathematically represent a street and possible passengers and uh, balls rolling into the street and the tree falling, etc. Yeah, but if you think about it, like
1: the street transportation is one of the more quantifiable areas of our everyday life, right? There's lanes and there's a direction, and you're trying to get from point A to point B, and I wonder if it's translatable to just the way that we conduct ourselves as humans, from language to, I don't know, meaning to whatever, and that's why it's hard for me to imagine, but again, maybe we might wake up in 2032 and find ourselves where you were in 2016, but it's hard for me to imagine a a computer that can relate to humans in, in such a way. But do you find that, from go you were able to take things to like did you learn from go to your real life do you feel like in your day-to-day whether it's from your job or family life or love life you it you employ lessons learned from go Mm,
2: yeah i would say definitely as with everything you'd spend tens of thousands of hours on um it becomes like ingrained practice so I think I'm patient to a fault sometimes because I'm used to just sitting there and looking at the position until I make sense of it. It's weird. Uh, you seem like a really impulsive guy. <laughs> I, I hear
1: some sarcasm there. Yeah. You're very calm. Is that is that like uh, is that a general characteristic amongst Go players, or are there Go players that are like
2: neurotic, OCD? there are I think you cannot totally generalize but there is definitely a lean to uh, people who are mathematics inclined logic inclined um, think before they act inclined you could say that yeah did you ever get to play against
0: your master your Korean den 9 master and beat it
2: Um so the master I was studying under in Korea, Kim Sung Jun. I've played him a few times, some of them on two stones, and I don't think I've ever won. Two stones in your favor. Two stones handicap, which I'm taking. Mm-hmm. Um, today I could probably do it since he's a little bit uh, rusty. Uh, he's a little bit retired right now. <laughs> he's still playing, but you know, naturally when players get older, they the level starts to decline a bit Um, but I've played um, so as European uh, champion or top player or whatever you get to represent Europe in a bunch of events which are usually against the best players from China, Korea, Japan, Taiwan etc so I've gotten to play world champions for example Lisadol, which is the the hero of the yeah yeah, the the Korean master from the AlphaGo movie. Um you could say the Gary Kasparov of Go. Um <laughs> I've I've played him in Korea in the Samsung Cup. I didn't win unfortunately. Um but I, I've played many of those players. Um I haven't really beaten any any world champions or as you would say S plus tier players but, but to go I've against some... the,
0: the Garry Kasparov of go that's must be intense
2: yeah <laughs> it is um, yeah I, I compete mostly on the on the European scene and we compete very hard for those tickets to go to international events um, and, and have our chance against the best players from Asia Mm-hmm. It also comes with a lot of uh, uh, a lot of financial incentive for us, since those tournaments have the highest prizes mm-hmm. and uh, very good conditions, uh, exposure, etc. So we we do compete very hard for those, but even the best player in Europe won't get to play too many of those games.
0: And you aim to become an eleven nine eventually, or?
2: 9-down professional? I hope so. It's...
0: How long does it take?
2: Realistically, we don't have anyone in Europe right now who, who's on the path to, to reach that. We're still... So a three-stones gap between the best European players and the best Asian players is not bridgeable, I would say, with any of our current players. We're all 25 plus And go is like a language the younger you pick it up the long the younger you learn it the best players in china already show signs of being a prodigy at 10 years old mm-hmm. and i only started playing when i was 12 mm-hmm. and most of the the western players have a similar story so the the gap is very wide i would say still but who knows maybe maybe one of us will have an epiphany or some genius will be born. Or Elon Europe. Musk
0: can put a chip in your brain that makes you better to go.
2: Yeah, maybe we can just uh, Neuralink. do metric style, download all the information <laughs> at once.
0: <laughs> but you did find love uh, with uh, with Go. Would you share with us <laughs> the story?
2: Um, not <laughs> sure. It's <laughs> a nice intro to it. Yeah. Uh, So during my time in China, I was uh, was living in China actually for, for three years, but I wasn't there the whole three years. But during those three years, I'd go to China, stay for six months, train at the academy with all the Chinese kids who do nothing but go, just wake up at eight. I mean, be at school at eight. And then they have morning games, reviews, classes, all about Go. They finish at 11 p.m. And there is hundreds of them. So that experience also made me realize how far the gap is. Because those kids are doing that since 6. They didn't waste waste time learning math or physics or anything. They just play Go. Um, but I was there. I was in that academy for for three years um, and I was also playing tournaments in China so as foreign, the best foreign players you get invited to a bunch of events and uh, tournaments all over China and I was playing a tournament in Xi'an and usually the top boards of a tournament get broadcast online for observers and the, the scribe, the person who was uh, who was re- recording and broadcasting the game uh is who later became my fiance uh she it was actually quite lucky because we were in Xi'an for the tournament i didn't know her before she was broadcasting my game so i was sitting there for a few hours you know i'm playing the game and i had lots of time to do a bunch of eye contact with her (laughs) it works on chinese girls like it works on western girls (laughs) uh i would say so okay it seems to have worked (laughs) I also got second place in the tournament and okay. they gave us the prize money, you know, in, in Chinese currency in cash. So we were standing there in the in the prize giving ceremony, holding like stacks of cash <laughs> like this. Uh, I don't know if that's had any effect or not. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> it's your personality. Uh, it's okay. She, she knows this story. She's heard. It. <laughs> yeah, she she's she was it. there too. Yeah. But the lucky part was that we were in Xi'an which is, I don't know, a thousand kilometers away from Beijing where I lived. But once I went back to Beijing, it turns out she was my neighbor in Beijing. A 40 40 million people city, which was very lucky. Wow. Or fate or whatever you want to call it. Um, So, yeah, we started dating there and um, we had a, a long break. Or a long period of long-distance relationship because of COVID. She was still in mm. China, which is, until today, still closed.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but uh, that time, she couldn't leave also. It's just recently that she could come here and stay with me for a while. So, yeah. That's wow. been that's been so, eight years.
1: What is it, what, I mean, you guys are getting married. She's your fiancé. What's the plan? Is she moving here? Are you moving there? Are you guys going to...
2: Um, currently, the plan is... Well, first of all, getting married is not that easy. Because of she's not an Israeli citizen, blah, 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 all that.
1: And you're not Chinese. <clears throat>
2: um, because of, well, you know, in Israel, there is no civil marriage. Unfortunately, yeah. Um, you need to go procedure.
0: to Cyprus. And
2: And I've also discovered just recently that uh, even for the, the marriage process, which we do have in Israel, like, uh, if a if a muslim tries to marry a christian or a jew mm-hmm. it's okay mm-hmm. but if you are trying to marry someone with no religion at least from from islam's side that's not pos- possible so yeah the authority also- which grants marriage says ah she has no religion that's that's worse than a different religion It's not possible.
0: I think also Jews who try to marry like foreign European girls or stuff like that also get uh, it's a nightmare. Like to get the citizenship, it's very hard. Um, But is she shocked from being in the Middle East? (laughs) You brought a girl from Beijing to the Middle
2: East. She's running in the sirens and. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would say she's still a bit. She's still a bit uh, oblivious to what's going on around her. (laughs) Um she's only been here a couple months and she mostly stays at home or goes goes out with me, so she she didn't get to experience she didn't get the full Middle East solo experience which we had probably.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um that's so far so good. So far so good.
1: You you speak Chinese fluently?
2: <clears throat> Excuse me. No. And not she's yet. Not, and she's not happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I tried. Uh, learning Chinese has proven quite difficult. It's literally Chinese. <laughs> um, I have a basic level. So I can communicate. You Curse. Know, tell a taxi driver I want to go there or point at the menu and say I want this. Ask where the bathroom is. But I'm not get, doing any podcasts in Chinese.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: um, wow,
2: listen, it's it's a very insp- inspiring
0: story And I think we didn't talk much about your parents But obviously they played a part here, right? Like they supported, like it's not obvious
2: Um, Yeah, you could say that <laughs> I think their biggest support was In the form of giving me total freedom That's a lot yeah it's something which to me it's always been like that so it feels obvious but i know from my friends that the the parents have input into your life like uh go be a lawyer where where what will you uh, be or who you will marry or where you will live and that kind of stuff and that that was never at all like the scope for me basically i went to that first tournament the uh, European Youth Championship I mentioned. One year into me playing, I went to that tournament with my dad. Later that year, I won the Israeli Championship, so I had to go play a tournament in Japan, where the national champion from each country goes, World Amateur Championship. To that, I went with my mom, and that was the last time I, I had my parents go with me uh, abroad. Mm-hmm. It was when I was 14, and I've played maybe 100 tournaments since. Wow.
3: But
1: they, I mean, did they give you absolute freedom, or did they imbue in you some level <coughs> of discipline? Like, did, what, were there rules at home? Was it like, you know, you yeah. have to do your chores, you have to go to bed at time? Or was it just total, like, you can do whatever you want?
2: It was anarchy. <laughs> it was anarchy? <laughs> yeah
1: really
0: and yet you became so wait how so how so
2: i don't know if it's that disciplined. like i think a big part of it is there is it's a trade-off right because when your parents don't ask you to go to sleep then obviously you're not the person who who's waking up earliest and is at school by 6 a.m um but you're you're doing something until 3 4 a.m at night and for me that was playing go and those hours mattered because that's what I think uh, put me ahead of other players. Um, the fact that they they trusted me, you know, they, they would ask me how, how did the exam go? And they would be like, oh, try harder next time if I got a bad grade on something. But I would say that by by high school, they were barely even asking much, They're just... Update us when something interesting happens. Or. <laughs> if you die, let us know. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah wow. Also for positive stuff, but yeah.
1: Really, really interesting. Super fascinating.
2: If people
0: fascinating. who listen to this want to start, is there, is there an age like anyone can start
2: playing Go? Right? You gonna start a Go school? Start a Go school. Um, I don't think the market in israel or even in europe is large enough to support really a ghost school um my fiance actually owns a ghost school in chengdu which is the the capital of sichuan she has a few employees there and uh, about a hundred kids who come to take classes Um, but anyone can start at any age start playing you can start. yeah you can start playing at any age um with go the roughest part i would say is the first 50 games mm-hmm. it's a very known saying in our community that the the quickest way is to l- just lose your first 50 games quickly and then you actually start understanding enough to enjoy the game mm-hmm. at the beginning it seems so random and like w- why are things happening it's a learning curve yeah it's it's not like chess where uh, you get to look at the board and the pieces are distinct and mm-hmm. you have a very clear goal, like kill that piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say with chess you can enjoy faster, but with Go, once you've crossed that threshold, then you get a game which you can enjoy for your whole life. One of the biggest benefits to me has been that ever since I discovered this game, I have never been bored. Mm-hmm. And it's been fifteen years now. Yeah. So it's like me in Mortal Kombat.
0: <laughs> but <laughs> I one last question, like out of the three other games, which is chess, backgammon, and uh, and uh, checkers, what's your second? Uh, chess, do you enjoy
2: backgammon? I think actually the five the five games which are. Sort of Olympic mind sports mm-hmm. uh, are go chess, draughts, backgammon, and poker.
0: Yeah, okay. Draughts is checkers. Draughts. Damka? I think I think it's uh, backgammon is, is damka, no? No, backgammon checkers baggemon is, is damka. Cheshbesh.
2: Yeah. Draughts is uh, I think it's a variant of checkers that's a bit more in okay. depth, but I'm not sure. ...um... What's well, your second bridges favorite? Bridge is also there. But I I like poker actually. I okay. used to play I used to play some poker uh back in high school.
0: Cuz um, here in Israel like yeah. backgammon and checkers are the yeah, biggest. Yeah, I
2: play I play backgammon and chess too. Mm-hmm. Recently there's been a big chess boom. Um I think not just because of the the Queen's gambit, but also just in general, people kind of discovered the game and suddenly I see all of my friends playing chess, so I also started playing more um yeah, I would say the second would be poker slash chess can people are you on social media or can people um I Not just really. have my my private account. Okay. You know, if someone wants to reach me, they can message me just like you guys do. Yeah. You never know which message ends up in your inbox. Yeah. Um yeah, and you can find like more info on eurogofed.org, which is the European Go Federation's website. Mhm. Bunch of pictures and contacts and such.
0: Yeah, cool. Maybe one of our audience has a child who's like a huge talent and go and he doesn't know what to do with this talent they can reach out and ask for
2: your advice or something
1: watch so. your seven hour game
2: my seven is hour it, game is it uh is it recorded uh the, the the game itself is recorded so you can play through the uh ah, but there's the no game, like but video there is no video recording of us sitting there for but seven y- hours there's an, <laughs>
0: yeah
1: okay be exhilarating but there are games
0: you there are recording games of you on youtube yeah okay there are some
1: time-lapsed yeah
0: (laughs) that's very cool very inspiring story really i
2: think more interesting than games you like sitting and watching two people stare at the board for an hour is something like our twitch streams Mm, okay yeah which is a project i started with the other european professionals when COVID. It and all tournaments got cancelled we still wanted to do something and get a chance to play so we, we stream on Twitch and uh, let's say two of us are commenting while, while others play then we're live commenting it as the game is played mm. and uh, there is also like chat interaction and stuff so it's, it's more interactive way of watching So what's and, learning? The, uh, and learning that's uh, Twitch TV slash European Federation very very really cool really cool thank Thank you you so so much much for for coming it was really fun it was
0: mind-blowing yeah Yeah.
1: Yeah. really interesting stuff yeah guys uh if you like the podcast and if you like this episode rate us rate us on spotify Spotify, yes
0: support us on patreon patreon.com slash twinjb Mm -hmm. and that is it see you on the next episode thank you so much thank you ali bye 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 guys